to hear an anointed, powerful word that will change your life from Treasure Coast Victory Center. Be blessed as your faith goes from one level of glory to another level of glory. I've been wanting to teach about that for a while, but that's not what God wanted me to do. So I am going to start with um, a dream that God gave me, and um, I believe that's the direction that he took me in. Um, so let me start with a prayer. All right, dear Lord, Heavenly Father, I ask that your words that I speak are yours and not my own, Lord. Um, let your message be heard. Let me speak it the way that you want it to be told. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, as my dream was about, believe it or not, it was about piles of spaghetti, which is mainly because I was probably looking at a recipe before I went to sleep. And so in my dream, there were piles, like rolled up piles of spaghetti, like the fresh kind that you can buy that's not in a box. And um, each one God showed me was um, a letter that was written by an apostle. And the letters were um, causing the, well, as they were opening, it was slowly unraveling and it was waking up. And God was showing me that each pile represented a different church or a different part of the body um, waking up. So um, I think part of what spurred this on is that I've been going to a different Bible study on Wednesdays and I've been going and I always go to different um, church functions and I hear different words and I listen to them. And um, I think I've been getting like the impression that some people think that there's a perfect church out there and there's not. So I wanted to start off by saying that there is no church that is perfect. And um, we are all being sanctified by our relationship with Christ. Every, every different part, every church has a purpose. So um, in Ephesians, Luke 6, uh, chapter 6 verse 13 it says that there's 12 original apostles um, Simon also known as Peter Andrew James John Philip Bartholomew I think that's how you say it Matthew Thomas James son of a lot Judas son of James and Judas the is the crot crit crot I can't say it how do you say it I did okay and Simon, who is the zealot. Um, most of what I'm going to be talking to you from is from the First Corinthians. But um, anyways, in reading more about it, I realized that Jesus did not go around talking about other churches or ministries, and we shouldn't either. He also only spoke to the Pharisees when they came directly to him. And when he did, he always gave them a warning, basically telling them how God's heart was towards them. And they, were, and they were hypocrites, and I feel it very strong in my spirit that we should not be hypocrites or should not be like the Pharisees speaking about other people or other people's churches and ministries. Um, I know that God wants to rise up the church, which is why I believe that God gave me this message, and we're called for such a time as this. We must raise up our voice before the Lord for him to hear. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote a letter to the church in Corinth. And I believe much of what he said is still relevant to us today. 
Um, first, he starts off, and I'm just doing a brief outline. I'm not actually in there yet. He basically is talking about how the church is gifted, it was spiritual, but it was Im- spiritually immature and unspiritual. He needed to make some corrections to instruct and restore the church in its areas of weakness, um, correcting incorrect practices such as division, immorality, litigation in pagan, tr- in pagan courts, basically going to court, and the abuse of the Lord's Supper. A lot of the division during that time was people fighting amongst each other, stating whom they followed, much like our modern-day religion. Um, correct. He was also purposed to correct false teaching concerning the resurrections, and he was giving instruction concerning the offer, offering for poverty-stricken believers. Um, the church was lacking in progressive sanctification, as it is still today, and instead of continuing to develop holiness of character the body of Christ, um, we must come together as one. And that means all the different churches as well. So that all of us agree with one another so that there is no divisions among us, that we are perfectly united in mind and in thought. We are sanctified by our relationship with Christ. We as believers have a unity similar to that of blood brothers and sisters in Christ. Now I'm going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. So God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. In chapter 2, verse 5, it says that, So our faith might not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. In chapter two fourteen, The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. In other words, if you don't have the spirit, you're not qualified to judge somebody that is walking in the spirit. And if you do have the spirit, you're not qualified. We we shouldn't be judging people who don't. Um, This explains why we cannot understand true wisdom. Such wisdom is understood by spiritually mature Christians. However, the Corinthians though blessed with spiritual gifts and sanctified, were worldly believers. The Bible called them infants, like many Christians today. I started in an infant church when I came back to Christ back in like 99, 2000. Um, It was a good, uh, make you feel good kind of church, make you want to come back. They had fun activities for the family and it was very family centered. But when I got further into it, I needed something more, and I knew that there was something more, as I had experienced it when I was younger, because I grew up in a church, in the church, and I was led to this church back in 2009, and as I've said before, there's no such thing as a perfect church, but a church that is willing to be transparent and grow is as close as I believe that you can get. Um, Paul was saying that the proof of their immaturity was in the fact that they were divided over who their leaders were. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, it says, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritually but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not acting worldly? Are you not acting like the world or like mere men? 
chapter 3, verse 9 says, for we are God's fellow workers. We are just, we are, um, you are God's field, God's building. And then I'm going backwards to verse 8. It says, the man who plants and the man who waters have but one purpose, and each are going to be rewarded according to his own labor. Jesus Christ is the foundation. That's verse 11. If any man builds on the foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. So the precious stones are durable, and they stand the test of divine judgment. They're symbolic of a pure Christian Christian doctrine and living. The wood, hay, and straw, they're worthless, and they will not stand the test. They're symbolic of a weak, dull, or boring teaching and life, much like an infant Christian. As we progress in our sanctification, we are gradually separated from the world the people of God become more like Jesus Christ as we continue to progress in our walk. Um, Chapter 5, verse 5 says, Immoral behavior, or I should say immoral behavior, Paul says, is to hand the person over when a person is involved in immoral behavior. Let me clarify that. Um, We are to hand the person over so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. This has been misunderstood to say to disassociate with all immoral persons, including non-Christians. But instead, he meant that we should separate from immoral persons within the church. And as I use more discernment, I believe, this is my personal interpretation, that it means if there are people in the church, in places of position, a leadership, or authority, that they should be removed or should step down from the position and confronted in private with love until the work that needs to be done is complete. In chapter 5, verse 12, it says, What business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? And I keep seeing this reoccurring theme that we are not supposed to judge non-believers, and non-believers should not judge us. If we as believers have intimate association with someone who does not or does these sins consistently but professes to be a Christian, the world is going to assume that we, the church, approve immoral or ungodly dishonoring the name of Christ ungodly living sorry dishonoring the name of Christ but that does not mean that we don't still love the person that we don't support the person that we don't encourage them in the word to grow and move towards progressive sanctification but the way that our relationship is viewed we need to take into account when we're with the the people that the world doesn't see it as we're condoning their behavior so in chapter 6, verse 6, it says, Instead, one brother will go to the law against another in front of non-believers. The very fact that we have lawsuits among us means that we have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defeated? Instead of practicing unselfishness, forgiveness, and love. He's saying that it is better just to let it go, turn the other cheek. We should just seek justice from, we, should have, we shouldn't have to seek justice from the courts for every wrong that's done to us. We should forgive, move forward, and let go. So 
basically what he's saying is if we feel like everything that's been done wrong to us has to be justified or has to be has to be um i guess you could say repaid then we're already walking in defeat because that's not how jesus wanted us to walk um furthermore immoral behaviors addressed in chapter 3 verse 19 it says we do we not know that our body is a temple of the holy spirit who is in you whom have you whom you have received from God. We are not our own. We are bought at a price. Therefore, we need to honor God with our body as well. So, and this next part is regarding the Lord's Supper. Um, it was definitely being abused during this time in the Corinth, but it's also not being used correctly now. And it says in chapter 11, verses 18 through 21, in the first place, I hear that when we come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. And then verses 26 through 27 it says, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood. It's my place, sorry. And blood of the Lord. In verses 28 through 30, a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself says, that is why many of you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judge ourselves, we should not come under judgment. And I take that to mean disciplinary judgment or opening ourselves up to attack from the enemy. So during this time, I, from what I was studying, I realized that after their church service, they would get together and they would have something like a potluck. And some people were eating ahead of others. Some people weren't eating. They were just drinking alcohol. And they didn't stop to wait and acknowledge what the bread was meant for and the alcohol or the, the wine. And they just went ahead and took it. They didn't repent before they took it. And they didn't acknowledge um, Jesus Christ at all during the supper. So one of the things that I kept thinking about is yet throughout this whole thing, Paul keeps calling the church spiritually gifted. So it tells me that we can still be a church, do these things that are wrong, and God still have our grace or his grace upon us. Um, but it says we should not be taking communion in an unworthy manner. We should examine ourselves, test or check our motives and our awareness of the significance of the supper. We should ask God to search our hearts and reveal what needs to be revealed to us, repent, and then we can take the communion. In verse or chapter 11, verse 32, when we are judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. God allows discipline so that we can repent and we won't be condemned with the world. Um, chapter 7, verse 7, Now to each one, the manifestation is given for the common good. 11 through 13, all of these are the work of the same spirit, and he gives to each one just as he determines. These are the spiritual gifts. 
the body is a unit. We are the body, the different churches, both near and far, though it is made up of many parts, for we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we are all given the one spirit to drink. And I believe that what he was saying in this particular um, verse was just he was talking about the different gifts that were given to the believers and he was saying that each one is meant to edify the church and if it's not edifying the church that we should just wait to do it to edify you know our relationship with Christ and um, as he's saying this I realized that um, each each person is given a different gift we know that already and that the church is the gifts are meant to not just edify Christians, but also to bring unbelievers in. So we need to make sure that we're using them, not just in the church, but outside in the world too. Because there's not a lot of unbelievers that usually walk into a church. So the believer's freedom is another thing that was being misused during that time. And that is, um, I'm going to read chapter 8, verse 2, but then I'm going to go back to chapter 10. But it says, we must be careful, however, that the exercise of our freedoms do not become a stumbling block to the weak. In this text, it keeps referring to the meat that was offered to idols. I believe that this is true, though, for many different practice or practices or areas in our life. For some of us, we held a higher accountability according to God's purpose on our life. In chapter 10, 23, the people are saying, Everything is permissible, but not everything that is permissible is constructive. And then in the New Living Version, I had to read that one again. It says, you say, meaning the people are saying, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is helpful. The people are saying again, I'm allowed to do anything. But he's saying, but not everything is beneficial. So nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. When we exercise our personal freedom in, re in our relationship with Christ it needs to be governed by whether it's going to bring glory to God and if it will build up the church and if it's going to encourage the unsaved to receive Christ so everything that we do in view of the church everything we do outside of the church and even things that we do when no one's around we need to make sure that it, if we're going to do it that it's going to edify and build up the church and it's going to bring people that aren't saved to Christ Again, this can be applied to all areas of our life, not in just what we eat or drink. This verse is intended to say that we can eat meat that, we might, that might have been offered to idols, but we can eat it because we know the truth, that the meat was offered to pagan idols, which are really just demons, as Paul calls them, and we know that they are. So I believe it's a good rule of thumb, and this can be applied to many areas in our life, areas of uncertainty that maybe we don't know God's instruction in, um, that if it doesn't build up the church, if it doesn't edify one another or bring people to Christ, that we probably shouldn't do it. So, in other words, do everything for the glory of God. So, lastly, regard regarding false teachings, which was happening then is definitely happening now, we need to test everything by the Word and the Spirit. Some during this time were teaching false teachings concerning the resurrection. In chapter 15, verse 3, it says, 
that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. In um, chapter 12, 3, it says, I t Therefore I tell you that no one is speaking by the Spirit of God, says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So this is one way that you can test the Spirit. You can use discernment by what is being taught. If that person cannot say that Jesus is Lord, they're not speaking from the Holy Spirit. So in all things, chapter 16, verse 13, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong, and do everything in love. So if we think when we're here, when we're outside, when we're with our families, when we're with unsafe family members, which I'm sure we all have, if we think about what we say or how we act or what we do in front of others, and if it's going to bring others to Christ, it's going to help us to determine whether it's beneficial for the body of Christ, whether we should be doing it or not. If I hear God saying this. If we're with non-believers that are drinking, we shouldn't be drinking with them because that's going to confuse them. I just I hear that loud and clear. Um, not only what we do in front of others, and I don't mean, I mean drinking, I mean getting drunk. That's what I mean, I'm being clear here. Not only what we do in front of others, but what we do when no one is looking. When we think of these directives Paul gave to the church, I want you to realize that these things are still relevant to the body, that we must, we must take heed to these things in order to grow and be willing to take correction, repent, and move forward. It's a new time, and we can't stay where we were yesterday. This is the time for us to grow as believers and prepare to walk this walk out all of the way. We can't afford to be infants. We must grow in the world so we can be used and accomplish God's purpose in this season. Each of us has a different assignment every day. Today, mine was to bring <laughs> banana bread to my neighbors. I have not tried to reach out to my neighbors in a long time and we have a handful of new neighbors and every time a new house goes up once they put the grass down I go around the house and I pray and I put oil around it and I just start praying and I don't know what I'm till God starts to tell me what to pray I'm praying in tongues and I know that that with all these people coming in that I need to make sure that I'm going out and reaching out to my neighbors so that was my purpose for today um Anyways, it is a new time. We can't stay like we were yesterday. We can't afford to be infants. We must start walking out in obedience. We must start walking out in faith. We must grow in the word so we can be used to accomplish God's purpose in this season. And we're being called to a new level of faith, obedience, and transformation. If we don't grow, we will be deceived by all the false doctrines that are out there, the lies, that the world would have us to believe so it can disarm us and take away our power. We can't succeed in fulfilling God's will on earth if we don't walk out our daily faith. We have to be a part of God's army, not a part of the world's. So, thank you.